Everyone can have a channel. Everyone can have a group of people are gonna follow because not everyone wants to be a YouTuber. People like to consume content. People like to view YouTube. So there's opportunity to carve out your little pocket. Now, not everyone's gonna be 10 million followers. People put too much weight on the big YouTubers and they're not actually understanding that you could have a business off of 100,000 subscribers or even less than that, depending on what you're selling and what you're offering. Welcome to the Golden Hour Podcast, brought to you by Polar Pro. I'm your host, Dave Mays. In today's episode, we speak with my friend, Jevin Dovey. Jevin wears many hats in the film and video production space. He's a director, editor, producer, educator, and a YouTuber with well over 300,000 subscribers. Jevin focuses on YouTube education, on filmmaking education, on gear reviews, and different things like that on his YouTube channel. But he also does travel vlogs and different travel styles content. I met Jevin in December of last year and we really hit it off and became close friends. Jevin has already really helped me in my career as a filmmaker and YouTuber and there's a lot of information packed in this interview for anybody who wants to start their filmmaking and YouTube career. Before we get started I'd like to ask if you're a fan of this podcast to share this episode with somebody who might be interested. So without any further ado let's listen in on my interview with Jevin. Jevin and I have been friends for a while. It's been uh, a couple months. I mean, back in December is when yeah. we met last year. Probably been about six months. Now. Yeah, pretty awesome. And ever since then, I feel like we've just really hit it off and done a couple of collabs here and there. And mm-hmm. uh, we see each other at events and we text each other often, tweet each other. Probably so, tweet each other more than see each other, even though <laughs> yeah. we live just up the coast. From yeah, each other. exactly. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming in. Cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Glad to be here. Totally. So, Jevin, for anybody who doesn't know, um, first off, Jevin. Jevin. It's like What's... seven with a J. Jevin, you you do kind of everything in video production. You're a filmmaker. You're a producer. You're an educator. You're a YouTuber. Uh, what else? Am I missing anything else? You're an editor, shooter, director? Yeah, pretty much anything and everything around filmmaking I try to tap into. And then more recently, um, as my channel has grown and become bigger, I got more into the space of like teaching YouTube and mm-hmm. actually coaching other people through YouTube. So I take on different people, help them grow their channels and things like that. I, I just enjoy the strategy side of YouTube. So it's mm-hmm. fun to kind of work with it because everyone's channel is different so it's interesting what works on one channel versus another totally which is cool like even just us getting together doing a collab and talking like there are things that we both do on our channels and then it works for me but it doesn't work for you and vice versa yeah totally but you kind of started out on youtube as a travel vlogger you and your wife kind of did a lot of travel stuff let's start there like what was that about have you always been a travel seeker kind of adventure guy yeah i mean i so i grew up traveling a lot. My parents took me all over the world. Um, so I've always had an interest in travel. The reason that I started my YouTube channel was actually just because I needed a creative outlet. So I have a production company with my wife. We do everything together because we work together. And then our production company is based out of our home. So we have our office, our bedroom, our downstairs, and we don't really move beyond that unless we have a shoot. (laughs) So you can imagine that like always working with your wife, like some people say it's amazing. Some people say, how do you do it? It, It's tough. It is not the easiest thing to do. And you have to figure out a way to make it work. And we, you know, we, for the first few years of our business, like with any business, you're growing a business. So Mm -hmm. it's very intense. We were working 12 hour days, 14 hour days, 16 hour days, because I was shooting and then also editing 
and I was basically doing the work of like 10 people. Yeah. Um, and that's how we were able to build our production company is that we were able to cut costs by having me do a lot of that side of the work. And mm -hmm. then Rachel takes everything else. She deals with all client relations. She deals with every email that comes in, every proposal. So like we have two sides of the company, which is good that there's this division, mm -hmm. but working together gets tough after a while. So after about like two or three years, of like nonstop grinding. Like you hear people about the hustle, like we were hustling, we were mm -hmm. nonstop seven days a week. Um, I just was getting burned out and I was like, I need something else in my life. So I started getting into YouTube and I was like, I'm gonna start vlogging. Cause I was watching Casey Neistat at the time, like mm -hmm. everyone else. And you're like, oh, he's doing these vlogs. Like, why don't we start creating yeah. vlogs? And the way that we got away from like, just always working was traveling. So I was like, great, let's make a travel vlog. Um, and she isn't as on board with the YouTube as I was at the time. And I was like, let's just do it. So those first videos you'll see, like, I think the first year of YouTube, I made almost 200 videos, which is kind of crazy mm -hmm. because I was also running the company, editing, doing everything else. And, um, I made 200 videos in that first year, got like maybe a thousand subscribers. Like it was no growth whatsoever, but it was just a creative outlet. It was a place for me to go mm -hmm. shoot some videos that I wanted. And then when we we're out traveling, I create a lot of travel vlogs. So that's kind of where the whole thing started. Gotcha. But now you're well over 300,000. Yeah. Just hit 310 today. Or yeah. Yesterday. That's awesome. And you're, you know, on track to obviously keep growing there. Yeah. What, what changed from a thousand to actually seeing some real growth? So, yeah, I mean, at first it was basically just creative outlet. And then, um, I've been doing filmmaking forever. So like I finally started putting in some like tutorial based, content on YouTube and as you know I think it was around the time that the DJI Mavic Pro first came out mm. um, I had a few videos I popped out before that that were kind of tutorial based or camera review style but I wasn't really focused on that and and then when I, the DJI Mavic Pro came out I was one of the first people to get it I was like first on the pre-order click that yeah. button it was before DJI was just sending you know people products before the launch like people hadn't really <laughs> yeah. figured out that style of marketing yet yeah so it was like whoever got it first and got the videos online got all the views up front and it was before you know influencer marketing in the youtube world really took off so yeah. um i was one of the first people that got that and i put out like four or five videos and it just exploded on my channel i was like great this is like a whole different avenue it showed me not only like that the growth potential by doing tutorials reviews things like that in the filmmaking space but it also showed like how much money can be made off affiliate marketing and mm. these other methods of making money off youtube besides just views equal ad revenue so it was kind of like all right this is something i care about i've been doing filmmaking forever i have a production company um why don't i just go down that path of, and actually focus more on that rather than travel vlogs because we're not going to be traveling that much anymore yeah. like we it was fun to do we were trying to do it make the travel vlog happen but if anybody is into travel vlogs they realize that it's a really hard thing to do mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of time to build a travel vlog and you have to be traveling full-time so all my friends that are travel vloggers are full-time traveling like they are traveling the world that's all they do and they are building it and it takes two, three, four years to get to a yeah. point where you're actually making money off of it and actually doing it full time. Makes sense. I mean, being in the camera tech space myself, like it's taken time to grow it. Mm -hmm. You know, I would imagine it'd be even more difficult to be essentially just an entertainer. Yeah. Because travel vlogging, you're you're kind of hooking people into just your personality. It's like a reality show of these yeah. these people's lives. And I versus doing tech 
you know, you're talking about a specific product that people are searching for. It's more discoverability, more opportunity to work with brands. Yeah, it's kind of like that search-based, uh, how the algorithm works. Like if you yeah. focused on search-based content, you will get in front of more people. And there's mm -hmm. no question about that. And that's one of the things when I teach in my, I have like a YouTube training course. The first thing I say is you need to figure out how to optimize for search because that's how you're going to grow your channel. Um, but for travel vlogging, what a, a lot of people don't realize is that you'll see these travel vloggers that have big accounts, but the smaller guys, they'll get massive boosts if they say travel to the Philippines because the Philippines, they'll get like a lot of attention, but as soon as they leave the Philippines, they lose all those followers. People mm. like are really dialed in and want to see like one thing. So mm. as a travel vlogger, it gets much harder to, as you start going to different spots. Interesting. That to actually build your following and get that engaged core people that watch all your content. You're, you have like these moments of like explosive growth, but it's really tied into a location. So you see someone like um, Lost LeBlanc. Have you watched his channel? I've heard of him. He I've, is over a million now. Yeah. He did a lot in Southeast Asia and he was one of those guys that kind of worked that space. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I'm sure that helped him grow because he was able to focus on kind of one area of the world. Um, and there's a lot of people that will go like to Philippines for a month and then leave. Like I've heard from one of my buddies, as soon as he left, he lost like all the people that were watching wow. from the Philippines. So that's crazy. Um, I think there's something to just it's it's hard because with any vlog channel, you have to mm -hmm. find that core group of following. Sure. So let's uh, let's backtrack a little bit and hear a little history of you and uh, just your filmmaking history. Um, have you always been interested in video and film? Have you always kind of been an artist, entrepreneur? Yeah. So I guess. Grew up in California? No, so I grew up in Seattle, well, okay. south of Seattle, a nice. place called Tacoma, okay. another little city. Um, but I actually started my filmmaking journey when I was in like elementary school. Wow. So I started making videos with my parents' height camcorder. Nice. I would take it out into the woods, and me and my friends would make films where you know you have to start and stop each yeah. take. Like there's no cutting involved. Yeah. It was cutting in camera. And so when you watch it back, you'd hear a little bit of like go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The most ridiculous videos. I, I still have the high eight tapes. I need to figure out how to get uh, them on yeah. my computer. I need to like go get them transferred or just buy a camcorder and transfer them. Yeah, like most of them the audio doesn't even work anymore. <laughs> like. That's usually the easiest. Just buy an old camcorder off yep. eBay and then just capture it. Yeah, so. there's some some great videos. I used to just have a ton of fun doing that. And yeah. so in high school, I got into like photography and video, and I tried to do like as much as possible my school wasn't really centered around that but it's something that I've always wanted to do mm -hmm. um, and then when it came to college I actually went to film school uh, what I in Seattle I, no I went to I came to LA okay um, I had opportunities to go to some of the big film schools so mm -hmm. like USC yeah. and some of the other ones and um, I actually chose to go to Occidental, which is a small liberal arts college. And that's because... Accidentally or... Accidentally, it's Occidental. No. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Never heard that funny. before. I know. I was going to say, I don't think anybody's ever said that. Uh, but it's interesting because I was a swimmer as well. So swimming's always been something that I've done. And mm -hmm. I was big into swimming. So when I would go to these colleges, they would say, you have to either choose film or swimming. You couldn't do both because both were so time consuming. Yeah. Uh, and when I went to Occidental, the coach was like, no, you can do film and do swimming. Mm -hmm. I was like, great, I'm going to come here and do both. And nice. I did. And I, you know, worked my ass off in college. I did swimming, filmmaking. It's a cool program there because it was only like 60 kids in the entire program. Mm -hmm. And they're much more focused on like emerging 
uh, emerging media. So they were more focused on like YouTube and things like that and kind of oh, what's cool. happening in digitally. What year was that? Um, so I went to college 2006 to 2010. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that was right kind of at the beginning of YouTube. Yeah. And well, it was interesting because my like I wasn't that big into YouTube back then. Yeah. I really didn't discover YouTube until later on. Uh, like it's always been something I'd watch here and there, like yeah. everyone else. But film right and video compiler. Yeah, and it, it's it's <laughs> funny because <laughs> like my roommate freshman year of college would like sit up every night and watch YouTube all the time, and I'm like, what is he watching? Yeah, and now I'm doing that, and I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's interesting. Like it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I do end up watching more YouTube content now. Yeah, I think the the metric is something like eighty percent of Gen Z and millennials uh -huh. watch uh youtube over normal tv now yeah and you so, see that like yeah. the impact of it you go totally. to like any big sporting event sponsored by youtube like mm -hmm. it's crazy how far youtube's reach is getting yeah uh and it's interesting to you know be on the side of building a channel yeah. right now because in 10 years from now who knows what like is it still going to be around who knows mm -hmm. but most yeah. likely so fresh out of college you know dslr revolution was kind of at its height yep. 5d mark ii uh you know panasonic gh2 gh3 uh <laughs> what did you end up doing after college so i had the hvx 200 actually nice after the dvx 100 so i had that one for a while but then i got the mark ii um the 5d mark ii yeah yeah as everyone else did i had a 70 I, I i started with that and then i upgraded i was like i want full frame and now i shoot micro four thirds so like <laughs> i never even shoot full frame yeah but anyways anyways so did you just start kind of going with freelance yeah and doing stuff like that yeah so in la i just started freelancing uh, it's one of those things like when you're trying to get into the filmmaking space mm -hmm. you want to just say yes to everything so oh, any yeah. project that came my way i was like yes and if you're the yes man at first like you get a lot of bad projects that come through you have a lot of terrible situations but that's how you kind of grow and i Absolutely. think a lot of people forget that they see people doing x y and z and they're like i want to do that they don't realize what it took to get there like there's yep. all this like just you have to put in the time and the effort like i yeah. i worked for a company called weed road mm -hmm. um which is a ma massive production company um Akiva Goldsman runs it. So he did A Beautiful Mind and a bunch of other films. So I was an intern there for nine months, no pay. I was living in Santa Monica, driving to uh, the Valley every day. They didn't pay me gas, anything. And so I worked there five days a week mm -hmm. trying to get into the industry. Like I, w I wanted to get into doing big blockbuster films and work on this. So I went and worked for one of these companies to try and work my way up the ladder. That's what yeah. you do. It's the old way of getting into the industry. Yeah. And so I had a buddy that also did that as well. And he went a different route after. But it's it's it was a interesting experience because they promised all these things. Mm -hmm. Nothing came of it. Yeah. They didn't give me any referrals after. I was basically like uh, the main producers. Like all I had, uh, he would be like, "Oh, I need coffee. I need it this way. I need it with this many sugars. This this temperature." And then like that would be my morning to go get a special coffee and deliver it to him on his desk and put the the sugar packet just right next to it with the straw and everything. It's like a. It's seriously like something out of a book. I it's mean. it's it's interesting that I went through that experience. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, like I'd read scripts, things like that. Like the actual day to day was like reading scripts and like trying to find new ideas that they could be making films around, which is 
really interesting to think about that the interns are the first point of contact and then they send it to the next person and the next person. Uh-huh. So like these scripts that people are sending in and pouring their heart and soul on are getting read by an intern and who knows what that intern actually knows about filmmaking. Yeah, sure. Um, but that's just, uh, that is how Hollywood functions. I mean, a lot of people might hear that and be like, oh, that's depressing. But like, yeah, a lot of the industry mm-hmm. is like that. It is. And I hate that the industry it's like... slow too, man. Oh, it's... The production, like when you're on a real set, oh, I, yeah, it is unbelievable how slow things move. Yeah, so that's the other side of what I did. So I was doing the internship, and then when I had time, I was um, working on bigger shoots. So I would try to get on. I had friends that were, you know, grips and gaffers on these big shoots, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, "Yo, can you pull me on?" And like sometimes it would be pay, sometimes it wouldn't. They would be like overnight shoots where it started at eight p.m., get done at eight a.m., mm-hmm. and like awful and you just sit there like most of the time you just sit there when something when they want to do a lighting change you get up you work on it and then you just sit there and it's such a slow process and i think people forget that when you're in that space like it takes a long time to produce this content like it takes two hours to get this one shot Mm -hmm. looks beautiful but there's a reason for that you put time and effort in in exactly so did that for a while um i realized i didn't want to get into that world were you with your wife at the time no okay um, so you're all, you were still living in Santa Monica though. Yep. So my brother moved in with me gotcha. after college. Cool. We the two of us. Uh, he's an artist. Uh, he actually you know lives in Vegas now and runs his whole like he he does like t-shirts and stuff, but it's all his art. So it's That's all cool. based off. You Very know, cool. He built his entire business off Instagram. So I built wow. YouTube and he built Instagram. <laughs> Very cool. Your parents yeah. are proud. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting though that he's been able to build an entire business off Instagram very cool. and his art. So like older at, or younger? He's older. He's four okay. years older. Yeah. Um he was working design first companies and then you know, we just had all these odd jobs and things and I would pick up freelancing gigs as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh after that internship, I had basically uh two opportunities that hit me on the same day. It's like one of those moments when you get like that tap on the shoulder mm-hmm. and you're like which direction do I go? Yeah. So I got uh, hired at a company that uh, a rental house for cameras in Hollywood, or I got hired at the front desk of a gym in Santa Monica, and so I took the job at the gym because I could walk there. <laughs> I like really thought about it. I was like, I could be driving to Hollywood every day, doing this another one of these drives, working in this job, and I don't know where it's going to get me. Or I could work front desk of a gym and start freelancing and just focus on doing things myself. Yeah. And so I went that route. Wow. Yeah. So that began your journey into fitness too, yeah. I would yeah. assume. I mean, I've always been around fitness, but you know, like in the gym space, you obviously meet gym people. You meet people who are in that space. So I started shooting for fitness people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually how I met my wife. So ah, nice. she hired me <laughs> to shoot a promo for another gym. Okay. Um, I show up. She didn't show up. She thought I was going to flake. And I was like, okay. So, so I, she flaked. She flaked. <laughs> so I shot the promo. Uh-huh. And she was like, oh, that's amazing. Like, I made a really cool promo out of it. And, she, you know, I met up with her after it was done. And she's like, do you want to start a company together? She's like, I got all these fitness clients. Do you want to do this? And I was wow. like, great. And then she had this project that she just worked on. It was like a big, her first big project as a uh, producer um, and completely bombed it in terms of the editor had no idea what they're doing. It was a mess, all this. And she's like, I got no money to pay you, but I'll take you to Mammoth to go snowboarding for a week. And can you fix the project? And I fixed it while I was in between snowboarding. <laughs> nice. And so we started a company because together. pulled it off. Yeah, we were able to, we worked well together is what it was. You know, like yeah. I, I do the creative stuff. I do the editing, the shooting, all that. Mm-hmm. And she takes care of clients and all that. And it's just a great partnership and it worked out. Yeah. 
and then we ended up together. <laughs> so what, a year later after yeah. working with her? So what's it like running a production company now and being a YouTuber? Almost, I would even say that you're a full-time influencer, YouTuber guy as well. Yeah, it was tough at first. So like, as soon as my channel started to take off, I understand I need to put more effort into it. Mm -hmm. um, and but my, but my production company is also very demanding because I not only shoot, but I'm also editing. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, it's just, it, at first it was just a lot of hustling. It was production company during the day. Like that's my main focus. Yeah. YouTube's at night. So your and day then, job and right. Yeah. I didn't sleep much. Yeah. I was sleeping like four or five hours a night, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and that was like the hustle. And then, uh, in the last like year, I, if, uh, if people have, been following my channel though so i hired an editor mm -hmm. um and i hired an editor for my production company mm -hmm. so i have a full-time editor who basically great. works just for our production company he's awesome great guy um i mean couldn't have been a better match for us like he works so well with us and it basically has freed me up so that i can focus more on my youtube channel so it's uh you know i do all the shoots I, I work in that capacity, which is still a lot of time. Like I, yeah. you know, like over the next two months, I have a shoot every week for three or four days. Yeah. And then, so I have to kind of balance that with when do I have time for YouTube? So it's, it's really gotten to a point where I just need to schedule things out. Mm -hmm. um, at first it was chaos. It was just like, go, go, go shoot YouTube, get it up, do this, do that. And then now that I have, have some time to breathe and I can step back, I can build out more of a schedule and be like, yeah. okay, I'm going to come up with strategy for you know, the next few months I'm going to do shoots on these days. I'm going to work mm. on strategy on these days, create thumbnails these days, you know, like yeah. really actually break it down and make more of a business out of all of it. Yeah. So in the past, I've talked to you about this because I took another route when I started doing YouTube, I actually took a half a pay cut. I mm -hmm. cut out all freelance on purpose to grow my YouTube channel, which, I, yeah. And, uh, we were, you know, living on a budget and it was tough, but it paid off. Yeah. And, I've talked to you about it and like you genuinely like doing both. Like mm -hmm. it's not like one or the other is better than the other. Yeah. And you also have great content to talk about on your YouTube channel because of your production company. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that like I enjoy working with clients and doing those shoots because it challenges you in different ways that your YouTube channel doesn't. So yeah. if you're only doing filmmaking tutorials, but not actually ever putting that into practice and <laughs> yeah, making exactly. something, mm -hmm. then you're basically just in this like YouTube space where it, it's kind of a weird space. Like I feel like we need to start creating things outside of YouTube or something a little bit mm -hmm. different, um, which is something that I'm going to start pushing for in this next year coming up. And I have some plans of things that I'm going to be doing because I want to be creating like now that I have this reach, I want to create some content that people actually could make an impact in the world and actually yeah. do something different rather than just always doing, you know, what's the newest camera or what's this, you know, there's an opportunity with all of us as influencers to, you know, come together and actually work on projects that matter. Totally. Uh, and it doesn't have to detract from your, your content that you're creating on YouTube as is like, I think there's space for us to have influence and actually use that influence for something. Yeah. I agree, hundred yeah. percent. All right, so let's get into the nerdy stuff. Ooh, nerds! So uh, nerds. we've we've talked a little bit about your history, um, and one aspect of what you do now is you actually educate people on how to get started on YouTube, how to run mm -hmm. a production company. Um, I love talking to you about YouTube analytics and kind of how all that stuff goes. Um, so let me just ask you this now: 
how just starting off how could somebody grow a channel in in 2019 what's kind of the standard like should they do daily vlogs should they only do one video a week one a month like what's kind of the basic 101 on what you should do to get started basic 101 <laughs> it's interesting because every niche and every channel is a little different yeah. so um i actually just released a video about this on my channel or uh -huh. it's coming out tomorrow which by the time you see this it's on my channel yeah, yeah. jeff and dovey uh, <laughs> go check it out jeff and dovey come find me um so basically you need to first like figure out what it is that you want to shoot like mm -hmm. if you just start you know a lot of people say just go out there and start shooting which is great and that's how i started just by shooting but there is so much information out there nowadays before you get into it you just need to figure out what you want to do yeah. and think about long game like what do you want to be doing in five years from now ten years from now like, yeah if if you're doing filmmaking or camera reviews right now but you're like i don't really care that much about it i actually want to do mm -hmm. you know automotive stuff well then you should probably start doing automotive stuff because the idea with youtube and the easiest way to grow a channel is to niche down into one like very specific niche yeah um and it's you know being as specific as possible is how you're going to get that first core group of followers yeah. so the the process i say is figure out what you want to do then go on youtube and just start researching see what other people are doing in that space mm -hmm. and see where you can do something a little bit different or you can fit in with this group of people like what makes you a part of these people that are already doing this yeah um and then from there it comes down to you know building out a little bit of a, building out a goal and a strategy so having like a goal in six months or a year mm -hmm. and coming up with your strategy to do it and what i say is one video a week to start don't kill yourself don't start doing daily vlogging i mean it's a good thing to try once in a while like it's fun to do daily vlogs because it it forces you to do things in a different way because mm -hmm. you're always moving you're always shooting and it actually it's an exercise it's yeah. an exercise and you actually become a much better filmmaker after you go through daily vlogging mm -hmm. um but i don't say start doing that i would say start with like a video a week and start seeing how you can position yourself in the market for your specific niche and that's you know essentially how you begin is right there because no youtuber did five videos and became you know 100,000 followers yeah you got to see the library of videos that it takes before you actually find what works for your channel and everyone's channel is different so what works on your channel is not gonna work on my channel I've said that earlier and it's it's mm. very true like I some of the people that I do coaching for um, are all in the same niche mm -hmm. and they different things work for different people yeah. because it comes down to personality it comes down to who you are how you connect with your audience yeah. you got to think about the community that you're attaching yourself to like you yeah so start with one week start creating content just keep going and, and put in the time and eventually you'll start seeing what works for your channel and keep moving forward now there's obviously tons of tricks there's tons of things i have a lot of videos on my channel if you yeah. are curious about more yeah i'm gonna pitch myself a little I actually, bit <laughs> <laughs> i actually have a series called how to get your first 1000 subscribers uh-huh so, check it out check it out i think it's funny a friend of mine who's getting started on youtube um your video was suggested to him and it was mistakes that youtubers made yep and my face is on the thumbnail <laughs> and he sent it to me without watching it because he's like look at this guy stealing your you know what did dave do to make mistakes like you're <laughs> you're pointing out flaws in other people and then he actually watched and he's like wait a minute you're in it <laughs> so you did a great little collab with um how many creators won that, that? was like six of us yeah. i think so, so six people 
people in our niche mm -hmm. and you asked all of us to just send you a video clip yep. of us saying some mistakes that we made. Yep. And uh, it's a great video. It's got like 200,000 views. Yeah, it's got a lot of views. Uh, I think because it's so real, like everyone in that video said the biggest mistakes that they made starting out and they're all different. Like everyone mm -hmm. makes different mistakes. Yeah. Um, the things that I did starting out, like other people, you know, everyone has a different journey on YouTube and yeah. that, that was a very telling video. It was really cool to see everyone come together yeah. and put that, you know, didn't you shoot that here? Yeah, I shot that right <laughs> here in this studio. You did. <laughs> um, so one thing that you said was come up with an idea and then go with it, you know, so that you have a niche. Mm -hmm. um, but I found too that a lot of the ideas that I've had have come out of executing and by doing things yep. and i would even argue for you doing travel vlogs that might have been your initial thought yep but then after a year you're like oh, i'm gonna transition to maybe you know yeah. tutorials and so a lot of it is like pick an idea but don't overthink it and trial and error trial and error yeah so that's why i say like have a goal so give yourself like a six-month goal and or even like a three-month goal something tangible uh -huh. now once you get to that point if you didn't hit that goal, you need to look at what you're doing and be like, is this actually the path that I want to go down? Like, why did I not hit that goal? And if you yeah. did hit that goal, you're like, okay, great. I can keep moving forward. Um, one of the big things that I suggest starting out is focus on search-based topics. Mm -hmm. So you really need to find what people are searching for in YouTube. And there's a, there's tools to do this. One of them that's free is called Keywords Everywhere. Do you mm -hmm. use that one? I'm writing it down. Great. So Keywords Everywhere is a Chrome <laughs> extension that basically allows you to see the search volume of what people are typing in the search bar. And it's across all Google. It's not just YouTube. Yeah. So any search bar you go to, it mm -hmm. shows you the volume right underneath. Very cool. If we had like an insert, I'd show you. But Yeah. <laughs> but it's the audio podcast. So, uh, <laughs> so for, um, for search, like smaller creators, if you find a, a keyword uh -huh. that has like a hundred to a thousand search volume, there's a chance that you could potentially rank your videos. And mm -hmm. ranking your videos basically means that when someone types in a search into YouTube, your video is one of the first videos that pops up. Yeah. When that That's happens. That's how we grew. That's how we grew. Yeah. Started with, from zero and grew from that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. When you start ranking, that's when you're going to get new eyeballs onto your channel and new people start clicking, subscribing, doing all that. But you have yeah. to you have to get up in the search. And that's kind of the initial ways how you grow is finding new people through search. Now, as your channel grows, there are other tools and other ways that you can grow. Like my channel's gotten to the point where a lot of my content is getting suggested by YouTube. And so there's different tactics that go into getting your content to be suggested, but you have to have that base because it doesn't, yeah. it's not gonna happen for small creators. Um, you have to really kind of focus on search-based topics. Mm -hmm. And that's why like for your channel doing a lot of product reviews is so good because those are searchable, especially at the time of launch. Yeah. So say the Osmo Action comes out and you put out a video on the Osmo Action, well, a lot of people are gonna be looking for that. Yeah. And that's what happened with the DJI Mavic Pro. When I was initially figured that out, you know, I put out a bunch of videos around that, my channel exploded. Like, if you look at the data, insane the amount of growth I got in that period with the DJI yeah. Mavic Pro. And then it's, you know, seeing that, you have to just rank yourself in search. Mm -hmm. That's the, the key to getting started. I mean, I don't want people to go after and just start trying to get into search. I want you to figure out what you want to do. And, yeah. you know, there's like more to it than just like ranking your videos, but that's how you start getting new people and every, on your channel. Every single niche has this 
kind of method. Yep. Uh, a friend of mine is a uh, a moto vlogger, and he had one video that for some reason YouTube just started suggesting to everybody. Yep. And anybody that it suggested to would click it. He had like two thousand subscribers, and now this video has over two million views, and he's grown to like forty thousand subscribers. Awesome. In the last month. And it's just because YouTube took a chance on this one video and they found everybody that sees it clicks it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Motovlogs, he's like, how do I optimize this in the future to continue my growth? It's like, well, you can talk about motorcycle equipment, like go to a store that sells this new handlebar or whatever. and like Go to a motorcycle event. Go to a motorcycle event. You know, look at this new flashy thingy thing that just came out. I mean, every single niche can have its own yes. searchability there is definitely searchability with everything that people are doing and mm -hmm. so like for example travel vlogging i was talking about how hard it is to do like the daily vlogs traveling for travel vloggers if they do like a top 10 video top 10 things to do in costa rica well that video is going to have a high search volume because you have tons of people traveling to costa rica that want to know like things to do yeah so it's finding specific searchy searchability in your niche yeah. is how you're going to get that initial bump out of the gate. And what do you say to an entertainer? You know, somebody who's a comedy sketch guy or girl. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's tough because if you're focused more on just entertainment, then it comes down to you as the entertainer. So, so you're building a personal I brand. would say focus more on like things like collaborations with other creators uh -huh. to bring new eyes in because you're not going to be doing like a product review. Yeah. So I would be focusing more on how do you, can you get in front of more people? Mm -hmm. And for an entertainer, it would be working with other creators. Yeah. That would be probably a, a really good way to go about finding new audience. One thing that when we first met that was amazing for, for my channel was, I think we had like 25,000 subscribers. We had the Osmo Pocket mm -hmm. before it was released. But on top of having that, I also collaborated with you and Armando. Yep. And literally in that month, you guys all saw it happen. Like my channel went from 25,000 to 50. It was a, huge in a growth. month. Yeah. That was unbelievable. What month was that? December? That was December. So that's another thing like products in December. Like you hit like the trifecta of mm -hmm. growth right there. It was collaborating, a new product in December mm -hmm. like un with a, with a contest <laughs> yeah I mean that was all of our channels took off because of yeah that. and that's for me for for uh, doing product reviews and things like that December is our Super Bowl like that is the time to double down on content like I always one of the crazy things that I do every year is in December I put out a video a day mm -hmm. for the month of December and I've always seen a massive spike in my channel when I figured out doing that it was like it's unreal because like you'll see the amount of views per day watch time subscribers you see december there's obviously a huge spike just because it's a lot going on but afterwards my entire channel is elevated for the next year so it's pretty wild to see can i steal that idea yeah steal it <laughs> i actually yeah i mean i think if people it's fine i it's an interesting idea is finding a time to really like put out a lot of content mm -hmm. and double down on content is you know finding a, a specific time of year so if you're a fitness person that would be january or it'd be right before <laughs> yeah. summer yeah, like totally. it would be those times when people are looking up fitness content get in front of them you yeah. know and that's that's how you can really grow your channel yeah um entertainers going back to that would be like playoff holidays playoff current events playoff things that are in the news current events yeah totally that's how you're going to be able to grow because people are searching for that and your mm -hmm. stuff will pop up the youtube algorithm is going to see that you're creating content on x and people are searching for x and there's a few things that have to happen in your video to get youtube to suggest it yeah um this week i've been i did a five-part series on this on <laughs> 
it's called Trigger in the Algorithm. Another uh-huh. plug. But you should watch it. It's um No, but basically when it when you think of YouTube, the the way the Sorry, there's people painting I, outside. It's lost my train of thought. Now. Yeah. So uh YouTube their goal as a company is to get people to watch content mm-hmm. and keep watching content. Yeah. And because they're going to be feeding them ads and things like that. Like the idea of YouTube is you want to binge, that you want your audience to binge. Yeah. So if your video gets people to get on the platform, stay through the entirety of your video, and then watch more videos after, which is your ses- session duration, uh-huh. then that's telling the YouTube algorithm that, hey, this video basically triggers people to watch more content. So I'm going to start serving that up to more people. So when you boil it down to like the basics of what YouTube wants, it's Mm -hmm. actually a pretty easy concept. You're like, okay, YouTube wants people to binge. If my video causes that, YouTube's gonna serve that to people because that video is causing more watch time overall on the platform. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. It's simple, but it's not easy to execute all the time. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, you have to think in that, you have to think what does YouTube want? Mm -hmm. And that's how you get suggested. So that's the difference between search. Search is based on keywords. It's based Mm -hmm. on what people are searching for. YouTube suggestion is based on what videos are causing more views and watch time and Mm -hmm. session duration on YouTube itself. And that's where um, being a smaller creator, if you're talking about trending topics that other big YouTubers are talking about, you can siphon off those bigger YouTubers because you're being suggested next to Peter McKinnon or whatever. But but it's not just going to happen from you creating something around that topic. You have to make sure that your content is good Mm -hmm. so that people... When they click on your video, they watch through your video. Yeah. If you can't figure that out, then suggestions never going to work for you. Yeah. Because what's going to happen is if somebody clicks onto your video and then clicks off right away, YouTube's going to suppress your video. Because they see uh, people don't watch this. Yeah. 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 Click through rate. What's is, a good uh, retention score? Like over fifty or fifty? What do you mean? Fifty percent audience retention is that good? Enough? Like through to the end of the video? Yeah. I guess you have to kind of see the length. New, yeah, the length of video because mine. I average like around. 50, you know, some, the last couple have been like 40, 50. Yeah. So what's your, um, what's your average length of your videos? 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a great audience retention. If you can get 50% to stay through the end, that's amazing. Yeah. Mine goes between 30 to 50, depending, depending on, yeah, yeah. And it's all length. So some of my videos are 18 minutes. If yeah. I have 30% of the people that get to 18 minutes, well, that means that 50% mark is closer to the end. Yeah. And YouTube is going to reward that video and push totally, it higher. Because it's a long video. Yeah. Um, one thing that I hear a lot, and I'm sure you have too, is, is it too crowded? The you, There's so many people doing this. How can I do this? Like, I want to do this specific type of niche, but there's already so many people doing it. Is there? I know. That's what, <laughs> yeah, that's what I say like, too. Like, go to a niche yeah. and see how many people are actually doing it. Like, how many people are in this filmmaking review space? Like, I mean, a there's handful. a handful of us. Yeah, and we now know each other. Yeah. Freaking and, painters. Sorry, guys. And, and we go to, um, <laughs> you know, we go to NAB, which is like our big yeah. event every year for creators and filmmakers. And yeah. there was, what, a group of like 30 of us? Yeah, we all had breakfast. It was a, a really fun yeah, night, uh, it, morning. Yeah. It was, but like most of the people that you would see when you type in the search for products was there. Yeah. So it, I don't, and filmmaking is a pretty big, like pretty big topic. A lot of people are trying to do it. So the fact that, you know, it's a pretty small niche once you actually start getting in there and talking to everyone. Mm-hmm. It just shows you that, yes, there's a lot of people doing this, but there's a lot of opportunity. Everyone can have 
a channel. Everyone can have a people group of people are going to follow because not everyone wants to be a YouTuber. Mm. People like to consume content. People like to view YouTube. So there's opportunity to create, carve out your little pocket. Now, not everyone's going to be 10 million followers. Like, yeah, I think people put too much weight on the big YouTubers and they're mm. not actually understanding that you could have a business off of 100,000 subscribers or even yeah. less than that, depending on what you're selling and what you're mm. offering. Like, um, even you could be full time if you really wanted to. Yeah, I, I mean, mean you are full full time. I kind of two. Uh, yeah, I kind of have two full time jobs. But <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm getting to the point where I almost need an editor for YouTube too, just because I'm stretched so thin. Yeah, I bet. Um, um yeah. so when it comes to freelance, uh, or like your production, let's talk about your production company now. Um, what's the name of it? Fit Life Productions. Fit Life Productions. And what kind of content are you doing for that? It's obviously fitness It's related. all fitness. So, so like, like P90X kind of yeah, like training we, sessions. We work with that company. We didn't do P90X. Beachbody? We work with Beachbody. Yeah. Um, we do a... So it, our... So you have countdown timers. Industry, and, oh, yeah. One and two and three. Do you get those plugins on uh, different websites and stuff? Uh, or did you Pro build timer some? tools. Yeah. I like theirs. Theirs is nice, but you have to customize them to make them work right. Uh-huh. They don't... They have some weird issues with them uh -huh. i need to reach out to them um, <laughs> i used to build all my timers from scratch in after effects mm -hmm. and i it's crazy to be able to do all this and then there's these plugins now that make it so easy yeah i just downloaded one actually the other day off of motion vfx it. you saw it i think so oh yeah i think if you, you saw it. my video yeah it's in the skillshare ad. yeah i saw the ad and i was like oh that's cool you did the countdown i might steal that okay do it yeah <laughs> i i think for I think subconsciously. So what I did is I there's a like a thirty second ad for Skillshare, and I've noticed like you know a lot of people drop off like as soon yeah. as the ad happens they're like yeah there's an ad I don't want to watch this anymore, but like by having a timer it's like eh, it's only twenty seconds or they can skip also ahead. they can also skip and see the timer go down. I know that's yeah. why I've been like holding off doing too many sponsorships because I don't want to like cut a video in the middle because yeah. I know what that does to audience retention. Yeah. So. I'm working on one with um, Squarespace, mm -hmm. which obviously they hit up everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they want, you know, it's like a 30 second commercial in the middle of my video. So I'm trying to figure out how to do it where people aren't going to click off. And I'm wondering if it's even worth it because having a higher audience retention is better than just getting paid for a sponsorship. Mm -hmm. You know, like think about it, your video is going to live forever. Yeah. And so I think a lot of smaller creators, they get wrapped into this world of like free products, sponsorships, making yeah. a little bit of money here and there, which is all great. But you got to remember that video is going to live on your channel forever. Yeah. So like you doing a sponsored product, short maybe money. down the road, like don't take those. And I've actually mm -hmm. cut off a lot of my sponsorships because of that, because I'm just like, I, I would rather go out and rent the product or mm -hmm. get the product in some way that doesn't force me to create something for that company yeah that, yeah i'm in and, that i'm in a pickle right now because there's a company that wants they gave me something i do use it but i don't really care for it mm -hmm. and now like i'm obligated to make a review about it yeah. i've and offered I, to like send stuff back too because like eh, i don't want to do this anymore i'll send it back and they're usually yeah. like yeah no, just keep it whatever yeah let's talk gear since we're talking about gear okay uh what do you shoot on and why so my go-to camera is the GH5. Mm -hmm. It's been my go-to camera since it came out. Obviously, it's a good camera. It's Panasonic. a powerful camera. Um, if you know how to work with Micro Four Thirds, Micro Four Thirds is great. Yeah. I don't think you need full frame for anything. I don't think you need to have bigger sensors unless um, you're specifically going for that full frame look. But mm -hmm. you can get almost everything you need out of a Micro Four Thirds sensor. Especially and for video. Especially for video. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, photography, it's a little different. But yeah. For video, I mean, I shoot 4K everything. 
Um, and I, cause a lot of my productions for my production company, we deliver 1080, but I shoot 4k cause it gives me room to punch in. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why I shoot 4k everything. Do you shoot on a high bit rate for the Panasonic GH5 10 bit? Uh, yeah, I shoot 10 bit. Oh really? I don't shoot 400 megs. Yeah. That's huge. It's huge. It's unreal. Do uh, you have to convert it or does it run no, fine? Runs fine with my, with the eGPU. Yeah. So I have like a 15 inch MacBook pro. I kind of got it souped, souped out, like I got the best graphics, everything, and I can run four cameras natively. Nice. Multicamming, which right. is kind of crazy. 10-bit. 8-bit. Uh, 10-bit, okay. I think I can run three. One or two is I typically really do two-camera shoots now. We used So our company started by doing these huge four, five, six-camera shoots. Mm -hmm. And with the way things are going with like YouTube and just the internet in general, everyone just needs more content and they don't care so much about having a massive shoot. So like instead of renting out a giant studio, having six cameras and all this set design, they'd rather go into a raw space with two cameras and just get the content. Yeah. Because when it comes down to it, most people who are working out at home don't really care about the background. They're just working out. Like you do a workout video, half the time you're not even looking at the screen. Yeah. So like it's more about getting good audio mm -hmm. and it's more about just understanding the basics so that you can create something that mm -hmm. um, looks good for the user at home yeah and having a good timer and yeah you know good sound effects music exactly well music's tough do you uh do you cut music out completely and do a no music version of it to mix depending ever? on the client because i um i remember when i was doing like insanity and p90x like music there was two old. options oh, yeah really? yeah they have a music version and yeah. non-music and that way you listen to your own music i hear some painters outside. there are some painters outside our building and they are just banging away on the walls i'm sorry about that so panasonic gh5 yep. but but you and I both know that uh, I vlog with something. You different. also vlog with a different camera, which I love, and I've uh, purchased the little brother to, which I'm excited to play with. We're gonna the have to do a collab. Too. The Olympus EM1X, EM1 which nobody in the world except you and I shoot with. Yep, it's a three thousand dollar <laughs> camera. It's big. It's chunky, uh, but it has amazing autofocus. Uh -huh. Like I never question it. It's yep. always spot on. The um the 4K looks good. The 120 is a little soft, but it's still not bad. I like the color on it. The color is amazing. I use the flat profile that you turned me on to because <laughs> they have the log and the flat. And the flat has tons of dynamic range, yeah. but it, it's not like you have to push it as far as a log file. So. And since it's a kind of a lower bit rate, you don't want to push it too much. Mm -mm. But it's an, it, for vlogging, it's amazing. Like yeah. It's the perfect camera because you have a flip out screen, fast autofocus, mm -hmm. and it just looks super nice. Yeah. Uh, and the stabilization is insane. Uh, unreal. Like, so I took the GH5. I recently went to Portugal for two weeks and I vlogged on the GH5. Uh, and the wobble coming from that stabilization oh, kills no. me after working with the M1X. Yeah. And I'm just like, I wish I brought the, the M1X, but. I remember you tweeted, which should I bring? And I yeah. think I told you GH5. Sorry. It's okay. I brought the GH5 because I was doing scuba diving and I had scuba housing for it. And the oh, M1X nice. doesn't have a scuba housing yet. Yeah. It now does. But um, I'd like to take that thing underwater and play. Around. Yeah. The issue is it's a buggy camera. Yes. So like I will be shooting and then randomly the buttons will completely flip what they do. So like I'll hit, <laughs> I'll try to hit recall and see the shot and all of a sudden it'll start recording and then uh -huh. I'll hit another button and then it will start focusing. Have and, you called them? Um, I, I got on the phone with one of their engineers cause I was having problems too. And they sent me a new one and I'm going to, I'm going to reach out here soon uh, and probably 
and yeah. try to see if but, they can fix it. But it sounds like a bug issue because you had issues I too. Had isu- they sent me two copies. The yeah. first one had an issue. The second one had an issue. But what's really exciting uh, currently with Olympus is uh, they just released a new firmware for their older camera, the EM1 Mark II. Yep. It uses the same sensor as the EM1X. Yep. It's half the size. It's you know It doesn't have it's the a, battery grip. Yeah. So I think it's kind of a better balance. I mean, I like the grip, but I want it to be... Optional. I, I want it to be optional. Yeah. Because <laughs> with the GH5, I use battery grips whenever I'm shooting with the GH5 because mm-hmm. when you put it on a tripod, it's easy accessible to batteries. Totally. Um, so I have a whole cage built out for my nice. GH5. It doesn't even look like a GH5 anymore. That's cool. Which I should probably do a video on that. But, you should. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I actually just picked up a wireless transmitter. So now the entire thing is just runoff battery. It's Very great. cool. Uh, but it's nice to have that optional because when you're vlogging you don't always want to have a big camera with you mm-hmm. or if you're traveling you don't want a big camera and that's originally why i went micro four thirds it's just so i could have a small camera small lenses yeah. all that like it makes such a world of a difference when you're traveling yeah. having small gear and the em1 mark ii now apparently has the same autofocus yep. as the em1x the only thing that i wish it had would be 120 frames per yeah. second slow-mo because i use that all the time oh you do so like yeah. That's the one thing that I'm like, I want to get that camera for vlogging. It yeah. only has 60 frames, which is fine. Just it's... buy a RX 105 or something. Yeah. <laughs> I have the, f- oh, I have the five. Yeah. Just yeah. use that as your slow-mo cam. I know, right? It's, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in theory, I, mean, I guess you if could... you're traveling, it doesn't matter. What I'm interested to see though, is the EM1 X or the EM1 Mark II has been out for like three, four years now. Yep. So it's a mature camera. So yep. the firmware has been, you know, meticulously tweaked and fixed. So I would argue that it's probably more stable than the M1X. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that camera's like flawless when it comes yeah. to the software at this point. And it's very, I mean, it's old at this point. And it's point. like what, 1300 bucks? I paid 1100 for it used nice. off B&H. So it's like right there, like just enough that would be appealing to YouTubers and vloggers. Exactly. And, um, I think the features that are in it, would be perfect for anyone doing YouTube content. Exactly. And you have small lenses. Olympus makes great lenses. And you have the same stabilization that you have, all that stuff. Yep. So I'll definitely be coming to Santa Monica and we'll do great. a video. Because <laughs> you have those one, two lenses that I, I want. Oh, yeah, I have all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So education, that's a whole nother side of what you've done. We kind of touched on it here and there. Yep. Let's talk about that and your your courses cool. and um, the, the stuff that you do with education. Yeah, so... Uh, one of my buddies actually turned me on to this. We were on a hike and he's like, why aren't you doing courses for your YouTube channel? And I was like, I don't know. Why am I not? And then, so I decided to start doing courses and it's, you know, for YouTubers, it's a great way to monetize your channel because especially if you're teaching stuff or you have something that you can teach, you got to remember that you don't have to be an expert. You just have to know more than other people that don't know more. Yeah. So like, (laughs) I mean, it's pretty simple. Like if you know something about a topic, you can create a course around it. And so the first course I did was how to sell stock footage. Uh, At the time, a lot of people weren't really talking about stock footage. Like it was there, but um, the company Black Box has done a lot of like promotion around stock footage through YouTubers. And it's really blown up recently. And a lot of people are getting into stock footage because of that. But when I made that course, I didn't see a whole lot on YouTube with it. So I built a course around that marketed it through my channel and it's become a whole different revenue stream and so now what i do is i teach youtube um because i went down that path of learning youtube getting certified all that stuff and it's i enjoy learning youtube and strategizing and helping creators actually find success because i know how frustrating it can be Mm -hmm. and a lot of this information just wasn't 
obtainable when I started YouTube or just I couldn't find it. So I've created like a course. Um, my All my courses are housed at thecreatorfilmschool.com. That's where I put all my courses. And basically like I take YouTubers from scratch and teach them how to build their YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, it's, it's cool being able to create courses and cater directly to people who, mm -hmm. you know, just find it on YouTube. And that's a great sound. <laughs> I don't know make, if you can hear that. This podcast is it's gonna... like my head's just being like, uh, uh. <laughs> this podcast is going to sound great. <sighs> but yeah, so, <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Like I went to film school, like I was saying, and nowadays there's so much information online and there's so many courses coming out that you can learn everything that you need to learn. Mm-hmm online yeah and it's pretty cool with this online course and it's great yeah and i think uh i want to get into doing education myself and you know our friend caleb pike yep. uh half of his income is through his courses and the, yeah i think the what makes a good course i mean there's a lot of fluff out there there's a lot of fluff it's teaching something that has value so mm -hmm. you may need to make sure that you're not just teaching nothing like it has to have some it has to get someone from point a to point b and yeah. uh, if you can teach someone a skill that's going to help them make money, that's even better. Yeah. That's a that's a huge kind of like... It's a business cost. It's a business, yeah. yeah. I mean, when you look at uh, income, more like... I always say diversify your income between all the different revenue streams. And courses is definitely a major player. Like that becomes one of your main businesses. People run their entire... Make their entire living just selling courses online. Wow. Um, and it's, it's a great space to be in if you have something of value to teach other people. And that's mm -hmm. what it comes down to. Do you have something of value? Yeah. And if you do, then great, make a course around it. And it just comes down to creating an outline and taking and being able to take someone from point A to point B and getting them to understand. I think that's the hard thing. Like courses, you have to really be able to take someone who knows nothing and like handhold them through it. Mm -hmm. And that's how you make a good course. If you can take someone who knows nothing and then afterwards they're an expert, then that's that's a sign of a good course yeah so back to youtube let's go back to youtube thumbnails Ooh, that's kind of great you know everybody's one of the most important things everybody talks about thumbnails you hear that all the time thumbnails are super important they are what makes a good thumbnail and how do you do it it all depends on your niche i really it, it, so what makes a good thumbnail is first having a clear image in it something mm -hmm. that is telling of what is in the video now the issue is if you're doing something like like I do a lot of YouTube training videos, well, there's not it's information. It's not really like a good thumbnail. Like I use my face a lot of times, so having your eyes on the thumbnail uh -huh. is a good thing because you're making that connection directly to the viewer at home. So a face with eyes, uh, with thumbnails, you want to get as close as possible to the subject. You don't want wide shots. You gotta remember that when you're creating a thumbnail, it's gonna show up as like a tiny little box on most screens. So yeah can you see it what the image is mm -hmm. in a tiny little box and the tool that i use is morning fame i don't know if you've heard of that one jevin's giving me so many uh great little tips here we got so keywords go to, everywhere we so got, go to morning fame and it's instead of dot com it's fa.me uh one of those slash jevin dovey and uh i think it gives you a month free but um, <laughs> it also gives me a month free <laughs> yeah. they have this tool which is cool it's called a keyword explorer mm -hmm. so it goes through and you can research everything for your video like keywords titles all of that very cool at the very last step they have a thumbnail 
like generator. So you put your thumbnail in there and it shows you every size that pops up on YouTube. And so it gives you just a clear image like, oh, I'm gonna see it in this size, this size, this size, and this size. Do, can I still see my image? So it's a quick way to see like, oh, my thumbnail sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing with thumbnails is if you want to put text in it, limit it to like four words, three words. Like try try to say something different that's from your title. Uh -huh. Like you don't want to put exactly what's in your title in your thumbnail because you're just repeating. Yeah. So something different than your title, but something that can convey what the video is about in three to four words. Yeah. Or something that's engaging. You don't always have to use text. I think people get too wrapped in this idea that you always have to use text, but I, I, I have friends that have YouTube channels that are fitness and they have zero text on it. It's just a good fitness move that mm -hmm. represents what's in the video mm -hmm. and those videos get clicked on all the time. Yeah. So the last thing I guess I want to touch on when it comes to the thumbnails is that you need to research the keywords you're going after. So if you were say doing a video on the EM1X. Well, start looking at the keywords EM1X, EM1X camera, EM1X review, like, and see all the thumbnails that pop up. Mm -hmm. Now, the idea is that how does your thumbnail stand out from the rest? So, f seeing what's out there, seeing what's ranking, and being like, oh, I can create a thumbnail that looks completely different and drives the eyes to it. So, say all the thumbnails are kind of like, uh, desaturated look and you know very cinematic looking we'll pop a thumbnail in there it's bright red and all of a sudden you're going to pop out you know yeah. or pop if if they all have text maybe put one without text because then your eye will get drawn to it so totally. the idea is that you want to be stand out from the rest mm -hmm. and i think that's you know obviously having a good thumbnail is important but it's more important that people see that and click on it yeah so you stand out because youtube's going to weigh your click-through rate as one of the metrics that judges if they're going to push your content. So your click-through rate is how many, basically you get impressions and an impression for people that don't know is how many times your thumbnail and your title is seen anywhere on YouTube. So mm -hmm. if you're just browsing and you pass a thumbnail, that's an impression. So you might get, you know, tons of impressions, but your click-through rate is the amount of people that actually click on that impression or click on your thumbnail and title mm -hmm. and go through to the video so your click-through rate will be like four percent five percent like it's going to be a lower number yeah and the idea is you want to get a higher click-through rate so that means you need to make your thumbnail and title engaging and stand out from the rest yeah because they're not watching the video when they're browsing i mean yeah you do actually can't you can't actually see like the first couple seconds you can it's interesting because a lot like it almost comes down to coming up with your title and thumbnail before you even shoot a video. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'll say, come up with your title before you go out there and shoot because you need to know where you even want to position your video. If you go out and shoot a video, but then all the videos ranking are just going to blow your video out of the water, you'll mm -hmm. never rank, then what's the point of shooting that video? Because you'll never get seen unless it's for your just your followers. Yeah. And I do this sometimes. I'll create videos that are just for the people that follow me on my channel. I don't always focus on search-based terms because... Yeah. You know, you have to have a balance. You can't always be focused on suggestion. You can't always be focused on search. That's how you get new people into your channel. You got to satisfy the people that are there. And so like I've yeah. been doing so much YouTube training lately and you know, products and things like that. I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I need to step away and get back to my roots and really start shooting, you know, content that's fun. Like my climbing videos, my travel, you know, vlogs, like putting that in once in a while is important. Yeah, totally. Taking care of your followers is more important than getting new people yeah one for me one for you yep that kind of thing um closed captioning that's something that you kind of turned me yep. on to is it something you still do yep i do it with every video so mm -hmm. um so that's if anybody doesn't know youtube will do an auto 
translate and like but it's not always right it's never accurate and i think if you manually update the closed captioning they see that and yeah i think there's more weight on that i i don't have any official words that say that this is going to improve your video ranking but i've noticed that um in the past like when i put closed captions on it does help because what i've been told is that if you put closed captions on it google can now read your video because it can't read video the same way it reads text so if you have so if you have your keyword in your title in your description in your tags and then you say it a bunch in the video google's now going to say oh this video is about this and mm-hmm. they're going to rank it higher yeah so that's why captions are important and i caption all my videos and it's not that much money a month you know like it really isn't that rev.com rev.com slash jeff and Dobie. i don't know <laughs> I, I do have a rev affiliate link but uh actually you get ten dollars off if you use my affiliate link go to one of my videos and you'll see it in the description that's right um so we're here in the polar pro studio we make filters we we make mm-hmm. currently this great variable indie filter um i have one sitting around somewhere yeah i mean do you use filters when you're shooting youtube videos yeah so because i use micro four thirds i want to open my lenses up as wide as possible so you can get a little bit of shallow depth of field yeah and you have to shoot basically wide open on micro four thirds so if i'm vlogging i'm using now the 12 millimeter 1.4 so you have to use nd filters otherwise you're bumping your shutter speed and then your footage is so jittery and like it just looks awful like there there is something to having your footage look cinematic, having yeah. that one sixtieth of a frame rate, I shoot 30 frames a second. Oh, you're one of those. <laughs> I'm one of those. Why is that? Um, it came from shooting fitness videos. So fitness is much smoother, shot at 30 frames per second. If you shoot 24, it, it's too distracting when you're working out with the person, at, uh, like if you're at home, it's mm-hmm. too distracting. So I shot 30 and because of that, I'm always shooting 30 because I don't want to switch my cameras over and then <laughs> and make accidentally not switch it back. That's what originally happened. Now I just like the look at 30. I don't think it makes a huge difference switching from 24 to 30. Because no. I think there's so many other ways to make your footage look cinematic that people won't realize as much that your footage isn't 24. And also like with the refresh rate of screens and things like that, 30 just looks so much smoother. So. And and it's and going to 60 frames per second does look way different yes going to 60 is too much that's like the soap opera look the 30 isn't soap opera look Mm -hmm. um it's a little it's more tv i guess yeah it's more tv it's smoother but i think it works a lot of times and personally i shoot everything 30 and i don't think anybody's ever said anything like why aren't you shooting 24 like i don't think people really realize that much marquez brownlee shoots 30 on a you know vista vision red ak sensor so don't we all yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that, by the way? Like the YouTubers red. that shoot on reds. I, I mean, obviously they can. He can afford it. He has a crew. It looks great. Yep. And MKBHD, for example, I mean, his almost his entire brand is built around the red. So I like, think it's more built around just high end. Like yeah. these really high end looking productions. And that's part of it, having a red as high end. But I think it's... I mean, I don't, want, I don't want to say it's over, like it was a fad or anything like that, but like, I think anybody that's up and coming in the next five, six years, like in the tech space, they don't have to be shooting on a red. No, like, there's no reason for it. There are so many good cameras nowadays. Yeah. I think I remember it's like Devin Supertramp shot on red and yeah. that was like the big deal. Like he was shooting his videos on red, but like, do you actually care about the quality of that aspect? Like how much do you notice when you come watch a video on YouTube? Like, wouldn't it be better to have smaller cameras that shoot 
really nice looking images and not be worrying about this giant body that you know has all these issues when you're actually out shooting yeah i've shot with red a bunch like we've done a lot of our big shoots on red i've had clients that like we have to shoot on red like that's what they yeah. they want the red look and i'm like you're not going to get anything different in the end product unfortunately yeah. but you know and it's a hassle like i was working on the shoot i think it was two hundred thousand dollar production day we shot him four reds mm -hmm. like it was a huge shoot we did um i had all of my cameras backing up to um external recorders because mm -hmm. of the issues with red and sure enough i had a fried card halfway through a shoot and lost a big chunk of it and it's stuff you can't go back on especially with that big a budget that many people there and it's like there are issues with reds it's not a perfect camera but you had it backed up with your I did. your smart man my atomos whatever it was at the time yeah probably like a inferno or something right it was a while ago so it was an older model yeah it was only backed up to 1080 um but it's fine but it's there yeah and the client never knows the difference they yeah. didn't know that car got fried had no idea and it didn't look any different in the end product yeah which is it's telling like you know people there's this illusion that you need to have these high-end cameras yeah. all these things this cinema glass but it really comes down to the product that you're creating mm -hmm. does it need it you know like is the juice worth the squeeze yeah is what it comes down to like and that's a lot and of for for a multi-million dollar hollywood film yes, yes the juice is worth the squeeze yeah because there's a crew of a hundred you know maybe yep. even a thousand people on set or even if you're in your and you in know, the like editing someone like mkbhd he's in an office a controlled setting where mm -hmm. he can you know really manage the gear properly mm -hmm. but if you're a run-and-gun shooter like shooting on red's not necessarily the best thing and you know unless that's only thing you're ever shooting on and mm -hmm. you really know the camera but there's a lot of issues with it and a lot of you know battery life you're carrying yeah. all this big equipment like i could not imagine traveling to some of the places i've traveled with like a big red package yeah. and the lenses i'll take my gh5 with you know a couple small micro four thirds lenses mm -hmm. and it's in a tiny pack where i'm very unnoticed and i can get some incredible footage yeah let's switch to uh instagram you're on instagram you have a, a pretty great following on there i built the account kind of early on with like the travel photography i was doing okay. um, what's your strategies on instagram I don't know anymore. You know, I, I haven't really been pushing it that much. If you've noticed, I've slowly been like not posting as much because I've been more focused on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I think you really have to pick your platform and go down it. Like you can't do everything. You can't be an Instagram or YouTuber and like really put your focus into yeah. it. Um, well, that's a, that goes against the Gary Vaynerchuk model of be everywhere. It's great if you have a team. Yeah. <laughs> so basically build a team if you can. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. You have to figure out where your time is best spent mm -hmm. and for me i was finding that the i was not getting what i needed to out of instagram by putting all this time into it if i put that time into youtube i could see the results coming back i could grow the channel i can bring more money in whereas instagram like yeah I'd get some sponsorships here and there get some free things like me and my wife have traveled a lot and we've got a lot of free hotels free experiences which is fun but you know, like at a certain point, it's like, how much time am I spending on Instagram versus what what it's doing for me? So like, yeah, it helps with the brand and everything. And I still post on it, but I'm not creating like this crazy strategy and like, you know, thinking through all my tiles and all of that. I'm just posting things that I want to now. Yeah. Um, okay. That's my strategy now is just make it as an extension of what I'm doing on YouTube. Yeah. So if I'm doing a video about Portugal, then I'll post my Portuguese photos. Like yeah. I still take 
good photos and stuff when I'm traveling and do editing and stuff like that. But my focus has become more video. And I think you have to pick your track. Like yeah. I was talking about this earlier when you have a niche. When I was starting the YouTube tutorials, reviews, I was doing both photo and video. Like I thought, it, you know, I'd do both. And I found that I don't really enjoy doing the photography side as much. Like mm-hmm. I enjoy learning photography and doing all that. But at the same time, I'm like, I'd rather focus on video. Yeah. Like, yeah. So 18 year old, uh, fresh out of high school, uh, wants to be doing filmmaking. Um, should they go to college? Should they buy a camera? (laughs) Should they start a YouTube channel? It's the big question nowadays. I think it depends on your goals. So Mm -hmm. if you want to get into big Hollywood blockbuster films, I would say you need to go to one of the big film schools because it's not about necessarily the knowledge that you get, which that's very valuable, but it's the connections that you're making. So all the people that go to USC are all going to come up in the industry together and they're all going to, you know, it's like anything. I have a friend who just graduated two years ago. He's already working for NFL network doing films and that's led to working at Able Cine and hanging out with DPs and like he's in the Hollywood like ecosystem. That's a track you go down. Like you, you go to these schools you get meet the people or you have to find a job working in like a company that's around this and eventually you will start working your way up yeah but if you just want to be a creator or if you just want to like start a production company and work with small clients just start doing it Mm -hmm. um there is a lot of value to film school like it gives you some freedom to kind of like just play and just learn stuff but uh you know like focus on your craft and you don't have to go to film school anymore i think also gear wise stuff has gotten so unbelievably cheap that's ridiculous i don't want to be you know first world and say cheap because a thousand dollars is definitely not cheap when i when i was first but like now you really can for under a thousand dollars buy a camera that is good enough to start a company out of even an old camera i mean think about it the gh4 what could you get a used gh4 for that's what i started with my company with i used gh4s for everything it's still Mm -hmm. a great camera great beautiful image especially if you once you figure out how to control it Mm -hmm. looks great there's no reason you can't use that so like older cameras are still good i mean they shot feature films on the 5d mark ii yeah how old is that camera yeah they shot on the 2008 yeah I mean, obviously, like nowadays, cameras have so many more features and so many things built into it that newer cameras are getting better. But at a certain point, cameras got so good, Mm -hmm. they're not really like you don't need all the new bells and whistles. And I it's interesting because like all these cameras come out and the reason that I haven't been doing like tons of camera reviews on my channel, like I've done one here and there Mm -hmm. um, is that like I'm happy with my GH5 and it's still a workhorse. And I don't need to like upgrade. I don't. Need <laughs> Sorry, this. guys. Yeah, you don't need to upgrade. It, it works fine. It works just how it did three years ago when it came exactly. out. And it's actually getting better with firmware updates. Yep. I mean, it's it's if the clients are happy. So if you're running a production company and your clients are happy, why do you need to go get like a red or something like that? Yeah. Like I've I've battled this in my own head over and over. And I'm like, should I upgrade and get a red? Like I've had, I could go out there and get a red if I wanted to. Like I probably could get it working. I could rent it out, things like that. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't really need it. So why bother? Yeah. You know, and the, the times that I do need it, like the times that a client is requesting raw and they want something like a red, I'll just go rent one. Yeah, exactly. There's crazy how the accessible everything is. Yeah. Build a budget. Yeah. And that's like a huge thing for people starting out is like, um yeah i mean you just gotta like build out your budgets and be realistic yeah like 
clients have money. If someone's trying to only pay you a hundred dollars, well, maybe you shouldn't work with that client. So that 18 year old fresh out of high school, figure out what you want to do. And that may actually mean that just start freelancing. Yep. So I would say fresh out of high school, you need to kind of think five, 10 years down the road. Like, where do you want to be? Mm-hmm. If you, if you see yourself doing like, you know, high end commercials, big budget features, things like that, like go the film school route, you'll make those connections. You'll, you'll figure out what it takes to get there. And that's, mm-hmm. you have to learn all that. It's not an easy process. But if you just want to be, say, a YouTuber making your own content or you want to run your own production company, then just go out there and start doing it. And the, you know, like it's at get a, first, get a job if you have to, to pay your bills. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say at first, get a job so you can get your bills covered. I mean, you're, a you're J-O-B. young, yeah. you're young. You don't need a ton of money to mm-hmm. live. Like you can get by very minimally. Mm-hmm. Just get something that covers the bases and start freelancing and doing things for free. Mm-hmm. I shot for couple of years like everything for free i know like people say like don't do stuff for free because it devalues the industry but at the same time you have to actually learn mm-hmm. you have to have the skills so that you can say here's my rate build a portfolio you have to build a portfolio but once mm-hmm. it's built then you need to start charging you can't yeah. do stuff free forever yeah um but it's interesting because like a lot of my jobs are out of um originally came from me doing freebies mm-hmm. and so like when i was working front desk of a gym there was a lot of producers that would come through and they're like, I would say, oh yeah, I do video and stuff like that. And like, oh cool, you know, I got this thing, like I can't pay you, but you wanna come on it. And then from there it led down this whole rabbit hole. Like mm-hmm. one producer I worked with has brought me on all these documentary projects. Wow. Um, I worked reality TV for a while. So I was working, you ever see that show Full Throttle Saloon? No. It's about the biker bar in South Dakota. <laughs> That's cool. No, Quite I an experience. Yeah. I was on that crew for three years and it oh, was like, very cool. Yeah. It was, a those kind of shoots are insane. It was like two <laughs> weeks nonstop. My, my, um, the time that I was shooting and working, it was teams of five uh-huh. and we had like audio camera assistant, camera producer, PA. Uh-huh. So teams of five, five teams of five. And we were filming a biker bar, like Sturgis biker rally, the biggest biker rally in the States. And we would basically cover it 24 hours a day. My shift was 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. So I got the drunk crowd. So like we literally ran around this bar watching fights, watching people get stabbed. Like so I saw some terrible stuff. Was there things that were set up and? So the main characters had, had there was set up. So like the main characters had their storylines. It's reality TV. Like yeah. it's a little bit scripted, but we're gonna do this thing today. Yes. You know, whatever. And they created stories out of that. There was a lot of stuff in between that was not Mm. scripted and there were some really scary moments on that show um like we were you know like we're dealing with some of the roughest people out there at the just getting wasted and partying and we're capturing we have cameras and we become a target so it was it was interesting there was one night where was there security there uh yeah i would assume so all the security was ex they were all military guys actually and they did this as um volunteer work wow and i think they're they went to a charity or something so it was a it was a pretty intense world to work in. Mm-hmm. Taught me a lot working in that. Yeah, but I actually when when the daily vlog kind of started happening and going crazy, you know, four years ago with Casey and Peter and just everybody, um, I started looking to reality TV mm-hmm. to study. Like honestly, go watch an episode of the Kardashians and like, how are they making a mundane day <laughs> interesting? You know we're going to go to this random location and then throughout it, it's a journey of how do we 
you know, you set it up, you go experience it, and then you have the resolve at the yep. end. Like it's a three act structure. It's a, it's a story. Like these producers, like they're good storytellers. Like there mm -hmm. are people behind reality TV that are very skilled. Yeah. Um, like my buddy who was the showrunner on Full Throttle Saloon is like a genius when it comes to storytelling and he was so good at piecing it all together. He was working 20 hour days piecing the story together. Yeah, but it was wild. So it's yeah, it is interesting going to reality TV because they are telling stories whereas like a lot of YouTube people just think you turn on a camera and shoot yourself. Yeah. And that's the tough thing with vlogs is figuring out how to create your own three act structure and something that's of interest to watch, which mm -hmm. is tough with daily vlogs. Yeah. Unless you're an interesting person. Well, let's let's go to that. Like, do you think people should still do daily content in 2019? I don't know. It depends on how interesting you are and how. Like, Casey <laughs> did it so well because he literally made a movie every day. Like, he made it mm -hmm. such an experience to watch his videos, and he was the only one doing it back then. But I heard an interview with him recently. That was like, why did you stop doing daily vlogs? He said, my wife said, I'll divorce you if you don't yeah. stop. <laughs> so. My wife said something similar. <laughs> no, so I mean, there's there's decisions you have to make as a per, like as a husband, as a father, like. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, my Rachel was always like, "What are you doing? Like, why are you spending all your time doing this?" You know, there was nothing. There was nothing coming out of it. It was just me shooting content, putting it up there for my grandma to watch and my yeah. parents. And mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, you're building that base. But in terms of daily vlogging, like it's it's tough like there's a lot of daily vlogging channels out there that do well but i think for most creators if you're going to go down that path you you should have something else to your channel and maybe mm -hmm. like maddie's doing right now he just started daily vlogging I, i'm really curious to see how it works for his channel and how long he lasts at doing it because he has a family yeah you know and it's like how much do you want to have the camera on yeah. Like you don't realize that the camera's always around. And it's not only that the camera's sitting here and you're shooting yourself. There are breaks in between, obviously. But you're thinking through story. If you're actually doing this right, you're thinking through all day, how can you fuse this mm -hmm. all together? So the so lines are blurred between, are you actually hanging out with us as a family to go do this uh, outing? Or yeah. are we doing it for the vlog? Like Yeah, and this actually came up when I was in Portugal last month. So I went to Portugal and I vlogged when I was in the Azores, which is a island chain off of Portugal. Mm -hmm. Pretty amazing for anybody that is looking for an off the beaten path kind of destination. Um, I was shooting vlogs during that. And I, I, instead of doing daily vlogs, I, I haven't released it yet, but I shot content throughout each day. And I'm just going to piece it together as one vlog because uh -huh. I wanted to be attentive. I wanted to be hanging out with my wife. I didn't want to be shooting the entire experience. Yeah. And there were moments where, yeah, I was just shooting and just focused on camera. And, you know, mm -hmm. she was maybe sitting there just kind of looking at the view, like waiting for me to finish up what I'm doing. And so you have to think about the people around you. Totally. And then this, the second week of our trip, we went to a yoga retreat and my wife does a lot a of yogurt yoga. retreat, a yogurt we just ate yogurt <laughs> we went to a yoga retreat yoga uh, yeah. yoga and um Very I, cool. I checked out so i deleted all my social media apps i deleted everything off my phone Very i cool. didn't turn on the camera except for a couple moments here and there and it it was like it was a huge reset and yeah. much needed it's and good. it's just like i'm i'm like glad i didn't have the camera and i wasn't trying to capture that. it was an amazing experience we had a lot of like cool people, a lot uh -huh. of really good stuff going on, but um, I didn't want to have the camera out. I didn't want to yeah. shoot a video during that. I think that's amazing. And um, I've talked about it on the show before, like it's real important to take, you know, one day a week at least to turn off. Yep. I think, um, you know, even once a day, have a moment to yourself. Yep. Uh, meditation, things like that are really healthy. Yeah, I, I, I do 
yoga almost every morning or meditate. So it's important that you step away from life and mm -hmm. just like focus in on yourself. Mm -hmm. Like that's an important aspect to just life in general. Yeah. Like if you're go, 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 hustling, hustling, like there are periods where you have to hustle. That's life. Like it gets crazy and then it calms down. Yeah. But you need to have that time for yourself to, you know, make sure that you're on the right path so yeah. that you're always not just somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's the idea of yoga, be present. I really feel for, <laughs> yeah, my wife is going through a lot right now because she's a stay-at-home mom, mm -hmm. she's pregnant, you know, our baby is one and a half, and, uh, and she's pregnant. And I'm at work right now, you know, I work throughout the day. And even when I come home, like, moms have it tough because, like, they can't really turn off because mm -hmm. until the baby goes to sleep, they're working. Yeah. And so recently she's been like, David, I really need you to like give me at least one day a week. It's important to just like, I don't even want to be with you. I just want to go to Starbucks and like sit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like, um, I can really feel for any, any women who, who struggle with that. Cause yeah. it's very hard. Yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so fitness is something that you're a part of like in your life yep. as well as you also actually make videos. How do you stay healthy while being somebody who sits in a chair for 10 hours editing a video? Um, I think it's just taking the time for yourself. Like I try to, like I said, I try to do yoga every morning or go work out. So mm -hmm. I, I actually spend a lot of time hiking being in Santa Monica, I have access to some mountains right there. They're 15 minutes. Yeah. So when I wake up in the morning, I don't always run straight to my computer and work. I'll wake up at five or six in the morning. I'll either go to the gym, do some yoga or go hiking Yeah. and then come back and start working. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's important to just like carve out time for your health, mm -hmm. whether that's mental health, physical health, anything. So it's, a, it's important just to like create a routine that's doable for you. If that's 20 minutes a day, do it and if it's even just a walk around the block that's mm -hmm. important and that's you know there's days where i'm just like things are so chaotic but even taking 20 30 minutes and just going for a walk mm -hmm. is huge on your mental and like you can actually come back with a focused mind and this is kind of something like i've been doing more and more is just this idea of digital minimalism have mm -hmm. you ever heard of that concept uh so digital minimalism is basically stripping down access to everything unless it's like utility so like my phone, I don't have my f emails on it anymore. I only have the social media that I really care about. So I, Twitter, because I talk to all my friends on Twitter, mm -hmm. Instagram, um, and then YouTube. I, but I don't have any of my analytic tools, nothing. I keep all that on my computer. And the idea is like getting yourself out of your phone or out of like this online space and actually being in the world. Mm -hmm. So it's minimalism, but in the digital space. So like that. really focusing on times when you go check your email or times when you sit down with YouTube analytics. And I think in general for any creator out there who wants to get into YouTube, mm -hmm. you can get too wrapped up in all this and you could be checking your subscriber count every 10 minutes. You can be checking your analytics to see how a video is doing. Honestly, like a video takes two to three months to see how it's actually plays out. Mm -hmm. So like, why do you need to check it every 10 minutes? You don't like you, mm -hmm. you do want to see if something's performing right out of the gate. Great. First 24 hours, but then walk away from it for a little bit. Maybe check your analytics once a week. Mm -hmm. Maybe check, you know, your email once or twice a day. De it depends on what you do. Like for me, I don't ha usually have urgencies. Yeah. Um, all my notifications are turned off my phone except for people I care about or texts, phone calls. Yeah. The basics. Uh, the yeah. basics. So I, I try to practice like minimalist kind of way of life just so that when i'm actually working on say a video mm -hmm. i am only working on that video i'm not 
thinking somewhere else as well. So it's, like it's keeping focused at the time. It's important. Like, when did you start doing this? Um, you know, I've been like slowly becoming more and more minimalist as time goes on. Like my wife and I, we keep stripping our house down from all the excess. Like it's mm -hmm. been over the last year we've been stripping um, all of everything away that we don't use. And then in terms of like the digital space, it's, you know, like I've been trying to get off my phone forever. And like, I just feel myself always being pulled back to it. And you don't realize how much you use it until mm. you get rid of it. So on this yoga retreat, when I skip, scratched everything from it, mm -hmm. I realized that like, A, I don't need any of it on my phone. And B, I was checking it all the time. Cause I was, if the phone was around me, I would pick it up and look at it and I'd be like, why am I looking at my phone? Like yeah. you just keep checking it. And yeah. I think it's important to just step away. Like totally. when I'm hiking, I don't think of my phone. I put it in my backpack, it's gone. So I just, you know, that really triggered something for me where I'm like, I just gotta I like not that. care. Yeah. There's a period of my life where I I got rid of my iPhone, got a cheap flip phone. Mm -hmm. uh, I just needed a, a break myself. This was several years ago. Uh, and it was very healthy. It was really it's, good. Because when, when I got the phone back, I used it less. Yep. It kind of resets everything. You need a reset. And I think just, you know, here's the thing. Like, we, uh, we still need access to our apps. Like, I need Uber. I need things like that. Like, I use all this stuff mm, all the time. We've changed our lives for the better. Yeah, every, like, we, but we need to understand that, like, you can't let your phone and the digital space take control of you. You need to use it to enhance your life. You take control of it. You take control of it. Like, let these tools enhance your life. Don't let it rule your life. So, for me, it's like it's actually thinking what am i going to do if i'm like oh i want to go on twitter and talk to people then i go to twitter it's not like an instant just like look at it all the time yeah. so like i i'm trying to become more specific with the things that i do so like i'm going to check my emails at 10 today after mm -hmm. i get this video done like and that. so the whole time i'm sitting in my office i'm working on a video i'm just like only focused on my notes the camera that's it mm -hmm. and it's not you know when i think something that a lot of people struggle with is when you're by yourself you can easily distract yourself like, oh, totally. like when i'm sitting there editing i used to just like have my phone sitting there and have like my youtube analytics up my or my social blade watching counts go up like i got wrapped into numbers <laughs> for a period of time and it was so unhealthy and like caring about all this stuff and you realize that none of it really matters yeah it really doesn't it's true you know care about the people that you care about be present for them mm -hmm. and that's what's the healthiest thing so Jeff and Dovey, 10 years from now, what do you want to be doing? What's kind of, what are some of your goals right now for just your career? So uh, if you, you know, want to do five years, that's more realistic, I guess. I guess so. five years is more realistic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy what I'm doing now and I want to be continuing that. I want to continue to educate and help creators like find their path and find what they want to go down. But also I want to get back into doing more documentary stuff. So mm -hmm. documentary is kind of where I started as a filmmaker. A lot of my teaching, like when I went to film school, we did a lot of documentary stuff. I've worked on a lot of documentary projects. I like that space and shooting for that space. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to tell real stories versus like, you know, fake stories. <laughs> but like actually telling real stories and, and being able to tell stories that have an impact on mm -hmm. the world that will help in some way. And that's kind of where I want to take my channel down the road is being able to use this reach yeah. as a way to... Uh, help bring some stories to light that mm -hmm. people might never have heard of. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, that's one of the directions I want to go. And I think it could easily fuse into my channel yeah. and what I'm doing and the creators I'm working with because 
we're all filmmakers. Mm -hmm. So let's use what we teach and what we preach and actually make something yes. for the better. You know who does this really well, and I've told him multiple times, is uh, our friend Levi Allen. Mm -hmm. Very skilled uh, filmmaker. Very skilled. Um, but he he grew as a YouTuber doing you know some vlogs here yep. and there, and then he did the run with Neistat thing. But every once in a while, he would just drop a piece that was on slacklining yep. or whatever, and it's just like a beautiful film, you know? Yeah. And it and it works. It it gets you know, you may not get the best views in the world compared I, to his GH five review, yeah. but like <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like, it, it's probably not going to get the same attention as like yeah a review. But I've done this. I've done some of my climbing films and things like that where I try to just do something that's fun for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is opportunity where like we could get these videos seen, especially if we work together. So like if me and you mm -hmm. went out and we're all working on a project together, say there's four or five YouTubers that are working totally. on this documentary project. Well, each of us could have a piece on our channel that mm -hmm. all helps the entire momentum of it. Very cool. And That's what I'm idea. kind of working on is building out, instead of just like dropping a video and being like, oh, here's a documentary on this. It would be, here's a video, here's a review around the equipment that I used on this video. Mm -hmm. Here's like a behind the scenes vlog. So I'm building out more of a- Like Ryan Connolly. Like a, yeah, <laughs> like a quick little series on this but it all centers around the initial story that mm -hmm. we're telling in that video totally um, so my question is if you do the documentary series will you shoot it at 24 frames per second i'll probably stay at 30. <laughs> as we wrap this thing up what's one kind of lasting thing that you'd like our listeners to kind of go home with with our interview with you what's kind of your message that you want to put out there for creators i want let's see i, I guess for creators out there, I want you guys to not get so wrapped up in the world of always creating and actually like taking a step back and doing things that you want to do. And, you know, obviously focus on growing your channel, but then step away from it. Like you gotta, you gotta take time for yourself. What I was saying is like, don't get wrapped up in the digital space. Um, there's so much more to life than just sitting on YouTube and sitting on Instagram and Twitter and all of that. Like use it for what it's there for. It's helping us bring each other together like we're making awesome friends like you can meet some really cool people in this space make awesome connections you can have influence and actually make a difference in the world so let's do that but then let's not make that the only thing we do in life yeah i love that it's great jevin dovey thanks for being on hey thanks for having me follow you at jevin dovey jevin dovey everywhere everywhere I hope you enjoyed my interview with Jevin Dovey. It was a real pleasure to interview Jevin, and I actually got to know him a lot better in this interview, even though we've been friends for a while. Definitely check out Jevin's work on his YouTube channel. It's just under his name, Jevin Dovey, and hit him up on Twitter. He's really active there as well. I'd like to thank you guys for listening to the Golden Hour Podcast. This is one of my favorite things to do each week, and it's a real pleasure to bring you all these amazing episodes here on the Golden Hour Show. So make sure to subscribe to the Golden Hour Podcast if you haven't already. Once again, I'm Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour Podcast. See you next week.